Let us begin with prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Last Sunday, we heard Pastor Jeff speak of God's wisdom and the challenges of finding pure joy in times of trial. And we're reminded to find our solace and our joy in Jesus. As we look to God for our provisions in our message this week, we listen to God's words to Peter, James, and John, and to us today as well on this Transfiguration of the Lord's Sunday. From Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, hear now from God. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. In our reading today from Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus reminds us, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now, this is certainly easier said than done these days. Whether it's COVID or cancer, depression or diabetes, headaches or heart disease, or any of the other myriad of health issues that we face, whether it is hunger or homelessness, unemployment or underemployment, or simply trying to find the money for either food or medicine knowing that we can't afford both, or perhaps a mountain of credit card debt. There are worries that weigh heavy upon us. Or maybe we don't worry about ourselves so much, but we find that we're constantly worrying about our family or our friends or our community or our country or even our world. The point is, how can we not worry these days? Now, I was encouraged to sing you all a song by some of my fellow co-workers this morning, but don't you worry, because as we say in the South, that ain't going to happen. I will, however, share some of the lyrics of the immortal Don't Worry, Be Happy song by Bobby McFerrin. It goes like this. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry, be happy. In every life, we face some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. It's certainly a catchy tune, uplifting as it may be, but McFerrin offers us little to offset our worries other than to smile and be happy. Well, how do we not worry, uh, as Jesus clearly tells us that we should? Jesus goes on further by explaining, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Again, this is easier said than done. And yet, there are some things that we do need to worry about, specifically some things that uh, we can immediately control or are imminently dangerous. For example, when walking across what appears to be a frozen pond, we should, in fact, worry about how thick the ice is, right? But what about those things we cannot control or those that don't present an immediate danger to our life? Jesus adds in verse 27, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? This is a question certainly well worth discussion. Biblical scholar Michael J. Wilkins writes, Worry is inappropriate or wrong when it is misdirected, when it is in a wrong proportion, 
or when it indicates a lack of trust in God. I believe that when we fully trust God, our, our worry will not be misdirected or out of proportion. But once again, we often find it easier said than done to fully trust God or to understand that God is in control. Yet this is exactly what Jesus is trying to explain when he asks, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And when we think in terms of where our next meal may come from or how can we afford a new pair of pants because ours are torn to shreds, there is a sense of urgency that often overshadows God's provision. This urgency forces us often to look inward instead of looking to and trusting in God. We do see examples in the Bible of those who were able to look past this urgency and place their trust in someone other than themselves. Perhaps the most telling example of this would be the disciples, those who simply gave up everything to follow Jesus. They left everything behind. They abandoned their work and their possessions, relying on Jesus to provide them sustenance and shelter. They became fully dependent on God's provincial care. Are we prepared to do the same? To be fair, we can also find examples from the disciples of how one can allow, can allow anxieties to interfere with trust in the Lord. Remember the story of Jesus walking on water? The disciples were all in a boat battered by a sudden storm when Jesus appeared walking toward them on the water. In fear, the disciples cry out. Jesus responds, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. The story continues with Peter leaving the boat to meet Jesus, but then becoming frightened and crying out for Jesus to save him. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying, You of little faith, why did you doubt? As we've seen from Peter, mixed in with confident trusting is also gut-wrenching doubt. The one who so faithfully followed Jesus is the same one who later doubted, and even denied him. We all find ourselves at times struggling with doubt and denial. Know that anxiety and worry cast doubt, and doubt prevents trust. So whether it's a disciple or whether it's you or me, trusting in God's provision can be challenging at times. And so Jesus uses examples to help us rely more fully on God's provision. He tells us to look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your fa heavenly Father feeds them. Let me ask you, have you ever seen a bird scurrying around to build additional nests to store all their extra worms? Of course not. The birds simply carry out their natural duties. They live their lives as God intended, and God provides for them. I believe that God provides for us when we live out our lives as God intends. What might that look like, you ask? Well, if we continue in Matthew, Jesus offers us some insight on how God wants us to live our lives. I think it's always worth revisiting. From the 25th chapter, verses 35 and 36. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. And you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. I believe these are but a few examples of how God intends for us to live our lives, serving others while bringing glory to the Lord. Returning now to chapter 6, Jesus prods, And why do you worry about clothes? He explains, See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. As Jesus spoke these words to the crowd and to his disciples, he was likely surrounded by a multitude of colorful flowers, making his appearance a remarkable contrast to that of royalty, as is implied in his comment about King Solomon. Consider also the natural beauty of the wildflowers of the field, offering a sense of peace and tranquility. Have you ever experienced a reduction in stress and anxiety by simply immersing yourself in the beauty of flowers of the field? If not, I encourage you to give it a try. Perhaps another important lesson here might be that we can easily overlook such beauty when faced with distracted worry. God's provision of the splendor and calmness of flowers in our lives can easily be overlooked if we're not careful. Take a moment and experience the magnificence of God's natural provision. Jesus reiterates and again reminds us, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. While not pagans, we often forget that God knows what we need and we find ourselves prioritizing what we think we need, or oftentimes simply what we want. We find ourselves chasing after more stuff. We find ourselves trying to keep up with the Joneses. We find ourselves amassing money and material things, and at the same time, we find ourselves becoming even more worrisome in how to simply maintain our lifestyle. Our focus turns to worry and away from God. It's an unhealthy and perpetuating cycle. Then suddenly the economy tanks or we lose our job or there's a critical illness or tragedy in the family or maybe even a global pandemic. And we wonder how to make the mortgage payment or the car payment or how to pay for the new clothes and perhaps ultimately how to even pay for the groceries. But then the epiphany. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We circle back now to the mountain, back to God's words. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus gives us the answer. He tells us to seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. Now, we've spoken in detail about God's kingdom in the past few months, about God's kingdom here on earth, about seeking the kingdom. And, and seeking the kingdom does not imply an expedition. We aren't going out looking for something. Jesus is asking us to live into the kingdom here and now through righteousness. Seeking the kingdom means making it a priority. It means acknowledging that God is in control, 
trusting in God's provision, living out our calling to glorify and enjoy God forever. It means loving God and loving our neighbors. When at first we make God's kingdom and righteousness the priority, God will provide our food and drink and clothes. God will provide for our needs. When we turn away from worry and turn toward God, our perspective changes. Quite honestly, that may be difficult to fathom at first, especially when there is a sense of urgency. But with the focus on God, the perspective of God's ultimate provision comes as a great sense of peace and understanding. And since each day brings new challenges, each day we must practice putting our trust in the Lord. Jesus concludes with, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This we know. Each day does bring new challenges, new anxieties, and new worries. And we know that there is plenty to keep us occupied just today. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So each day we must strive to live our lives as God has intended us to do so. I find that talking to God and immersing myself in God's word each and every day helps me to maintain my perspective. I admit, though, that some worry, especially in these days, does find its way into my daily routine. I'm comforted by Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 6. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I encourage you to take your worries to God. And in your conversations with God, let your requests be known with thanksgiving. Or in other words, with gratitude. I believe that gratitude is such a powerful attribute to hang on to, especially during these difficult times. I know that it can be tough to find gratitude in your heart when faced with so many challenges and tragedies of today. But let me assure you that the power of gratitude can be life-changing, especially when practiced daily. In good times and bad times, I encourage you to practice the attitude of gratitude. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't share some gratitude with you all today. I am grateful for your prayers, your calls and messages, for your cards and gifts, and simply for your presence in my life. It's been difficult as we've not been together. But knowing that you are there helps me to, to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel, at the end of this pandemic. I'm grateful for, for family and friends who have provided me support. I'm grateful for our knitting folks who created a, a, a beautiful lap gan for me that keeps me warm. I'm grateful for a couple of dear friends, Sophie and Kat, who provided me with a hat. And because I truly believe that God is a God of, of humor, I share this with you. You might see me with it one day, and I want you to be able to recognize that this is what keeps me warm, and this is what keeps my heart full of warmth and love. 
for friends near and far. As we conclude today, I want to offer you this example of the power of gratitude and trust in God's provision. It comes from the, uh, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 when Jesus looks to the heavens and gives thanks. Renowned author Parker Palmer writes, Jesus is giving his thanks for the food, acknowledging that he and the others depend on gifts beyond their making, acknowledging that the gifts have been in fact given. Jesus is also expressing his trust that there is a power other than his own at work, a power that frees him from the impossible burden of total responsibility for what happens. Here we see Jesus as the shining example of gratitude and trust in God's provision. Listen to what he has to say. When we seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, living our lives as God has intended, when we gratefully appreciate God's gifts in our lives, we can rest assured that God will indeed provide for our needs. So, my dear friends, live your lives for Christ with gratitude in your hearts for God's provision, caring for one another and loving the Lord and your neighbors this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.